The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Matt Lieb. And I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod Yourself a Gun. A Sopranos podcast where me and Vince Mancini go through every single episode of The Sopranos and and talk talk about about it. it. Thank you so much once again for checking out our wonderful Sopranos podcast, the only Sopranos podcast in the world. Um, just a reminder, you know, five stars and a review. Obviously, that's mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. M- my favorite thing for you to do. Check also, me out on reminder, OnlyFans. Check us out on OnlyFans. Obviously, that is uh, we're going to be showing uh, just pictures of naked gabagools. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, you know, little little capicola slices all up on my balls. But also, um, I do want to remind people um, that we have a couple of social media handles. Uh, we have a Twitter account uh at pod yourself a gun and and, i know and instagram at pod yourself a gun and um you know we don't we don't have that many followers on it so um why don't you just do us a favor and follow those and then you can get all your you know your your updates and shit i think that would be i don't know important to you maybe who knows or maybe you're not into it. It all depends on your use of social media. But go ahead and follow at Pod Yourself a Gun on all the social platforms. Also, the end of the episode, we are, of course, going to do our Pod Yourself a shout out. That's an $8 tier for Patreon supporters. Uh, you pay $8 and then Vince, stop doing the thing with your hand. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's like, hurry it up. <laughs> Uh, anyways, you know, uh, broadcast at Gmail. Uh, no, that's not it. Patreon.com slash broadcast. <laughs> now I'm nervous. Um, and uh, $8 tier gets you a shout out at the end of the episode. Okay, I'm done, Vince. Oh, you happy? Oh, are you? Whew. <sighs> All right, I'm, All right. I'm awake. I'm awake again. Okay, good. I'm so glad. You know, you could always participate, but you don't have to. Um, today, Vince Mancini and I are going to be talking about uh, Sopranos Season 5, Episode 7, in Camelot, and uh, we have a wonderful guest today. This is a returning Potty Yourself a Gun champion. You know her, you love her from the Ethnically Ambiguous podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else, welcome Shireen Eunice. Oh, hello. What a lovely introduction. I do uh, think I'm yeah. a legendary guest because I called that, I, I said that Beansy was gay. You did. You said Beansy and Richie probably had like a gay thing going on. I will die on that hill. That is the subplot that is underneath. Anyway, thank you. I think you're right. I think yeah. we all agreed. And and uh, a lot of people were just uh, just bowled over by the accuracy of that insight, as yeah. was I. 
the funniest thing that happened after that was someone posted about it on Reddit. Um, uh, someone was like, uh, you know, pot yourself a gun guest says that uh, Richie it says a fan theory that Richie might have been gay. And the responses were, oh, not this again. Oh, which, so it's been discussed. It's been discussed, apparently, but th- I think that's what makes it all... It's like one of those things where I'm like, man, you know, fandom fandom is weird because anything like that you think is unique about I mean, yeah, uh, a show you're watching, they've already... Nothing I think is, unori- is original. Everything I say is not original. Well, because they spent all their time... Right, uh, but they spent all their time thinking about the Sopranos, you know, and we have just been living our lives occasionally doing a Sopranos podcast and, yeah. uh, you know, we're chill. We're, we're cool. We're having like good times and shit, you know, yeah. we're, we're having sex. Uh, and you then, are maybe, I don't know. okay, well I'm having sex. Speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, Vince had sex at least once. Yeah. Um, oh, proof. Cool. I got you. proof. You got proof. And, uh, you know, so we, we come up with these fan theories and, and all the like true fans are like, we've been thought about that. So yeah, they're like the hipsters of TV watching. They really like, are. We were here before you even existed or knew Ex- cool. e- Exactly. Yeah. They've been cool, you know, way longer than we've been cool. So good for them. But uh, sure, you can have it. You can have it. Fuck you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fuck you is a little harsh. <laughs> if you're one of those people, please keep listening. We love the surprise. Yeah, of- it's great. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Shireen, uh, just a quick interview uh, about the Sopranos. Uh, do you like the Sopranos? I love the Sopranos. Sick. Yeah. That's tight. Us too. Got that out of the way. Questions? Moving on. Yeah. What if I was like, have you ever had a guest say no? I think we have. I'm pretty sure. Oh. Or not. No, I, I've I've had, had a virgins and people that are new to it. But oh, cute. I don't think we've well, had we've any also... full on dislikers, which would be weird. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no one full on disliking it, but like I have asked people, like, how big of a Sopranos fan are you? And there have been people who've been like, I don't know, medium. Like, what do you <laughs> what do you want me to say? Uh, you know, uh, which is fair. It, you don't. Yeah. It, this does not have to be your favorite show. Do you have a favorite show, Shireen? I'm obsessed with Nathan for you, and I could watch that over and over, and I would be happy. Well, that's and John that, Wilson, the one that came out, How to with John Wilson. I think those are my favorite type of shows, where it's just like pranks. I don't. know. It's not even pranks. <laughs> I just like like it to. It's not even. No, it's not. I don't consider them pranks. The I just prank think shows. They're not prank shows. I don't like prank shows. John Wilson is not a prank show. Come on. I don't know that one. I just assumed it was okay, also how pranks. How to with John Wilson is like poetic art. I highly recommend it. It is okay. so beautiful. And it's like the cyclical. Every episode is like a cyclical yeah. thing. It starts with one. Uh, prank. No, it's not a prank. <laughs> it starts with one question. Like, where does. Is your uh, refrigerator still running? <sighs> if you have any taste, you'd watch it. I like it. It's, it's good. But I like Matt's idea of it, too. Fair. I, I mean, I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, for sure. But I mean, uh, Nathan, for you, is like, I think, one of the all time funniest TV yes. shows ever made. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it also gives me, like, um, the the level I I've become accustomed to awkward shit like awkward situations and awkward humor, uh, and so it's like I keep needing people to up the ante and Nathan for you like filled that gap where I was just like yeah Borat's good but you know I feel I like I don't I've... like maybe that's a hot take I won't continue that sorry well tell me your hot take why <laughs> don't, don't you like Borat well. 
okay, I came to this conclusion, like, pretty firmly after I saw the second one, even though, I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter. But uh, in the first one, I felt like he was kind of, I mean, as an Arab, like, Middle Eastern person, it kind of is a little, like, strange to yeah. car- like be a caricature of something that you're not a part of. But then right. the second one... It was around the same time that Bad Trip came out with Eric Andre, right? Right. And I, had, and I was comparing the two, and Eric Andre, like, the vibe of that movie was just, like, joyous and fun, and he, mm-hmm. like, make, he made people feel good, and at the end, there was a blooper reel where they, like, they told them, the, like, the truth, and they were all happy or whatever. Right. And then Borat, on the other hand, like, he literally put... <laughs> his whole crew was at risk so many of them got covid they mm. went to a republican a republican convention like without any like in quotes protection but like it was a it was a weird time i just think it's like i don't know i just got a ba- bad vibe from that movie compared to whatever it's like That's exploitative fair. is my word yeah. okay so it's like you the prank shows that you like are uh <laughs> Or when uh, I, I when agree the audience with you. is endearing, like it's not like yeah. they're it's not like they're poking fun and humiliate hum, humiliating them constantly, right? It's, well, I mean, you know, we'll have I to have a separate I was, podcast about that because I have thoughts. But are you a huge? I mean, like people are such big fans of it, you know? I don't yeah, know. I mean, I don't like disagree with the criticisms, but uh, yeah, but you know what? He doesn't ever go and hang out outside a pork store. Uh, so therefore, I don't care about it that much, you know. Like it's sort of That's fades a good point. into yeah, I don't the background. Care about it that much either, but yeah. I that just proves that I'm not a fan of all pranks, and I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Nathan for you or John Wilson are pranksters. <laughs> well, now I'm convinced that the hot take was born out of my saying that you just like prank shows. You'll never know. I'll never know. You'll never know. But we don't need to know about this because this is not a. Sh- prank show slash movie podcast no this is a sopranos podcast and uh of course we cannot start the podcast without first playing the theme song pod 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 Podcast. Pod. 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 Podcast. Today we are talking about from season five of The Sopranos, episode seven in Camelot, which premiered on April 18th, 2004. Vince. Break us off a little piece of that synopsis. Tony learns about his father through the man's mistress, while Chris's friend learns that there are habits more harmful to your health than heroin. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Strong synopsis. Um, And uh, Vince, what was happening at the time that this episode came out? Oh, that's right, Matt. You know, we can't evaluate any art without knowing the context in which it was released. Uh, And for that, we go to uh, the Remember When machine. Is there a sound effect? Walk, there it walk. Is. Teddy, daddy, bop, bop, shoe, bop. Remember then, 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 then. Remember. Remember when is the lowest form of conversation. That's right. We're going, we're taking the remember when machine all the way back to April 18th, 
2004. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a different time than we're living in now. Just so many things. That's so true, dude. Changed, Com- but so many things stay the same. And you know, just to properly put you in the mindset of what was going on at the time, um, this is from the New York Post. Uh, this is actually about an article in the New York Times, but uh, it's a nice, nice. We're notes. getting meta with the Wayback Machine. Yeah. Hill We're pens getting- new RX for healthcare. Uh, a decade after her healthcare initiative went down in flames, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton has again placed herself squarely in the middle of a debate, penning a lengthy magazine article on the future of what she calls a seriously flawed system. Oh, damn, dude! Think you know she's right about that. Clinton's- I wonder if she'll continue being right about that in the future. <laughs> Clinton's cover page opus is the main story of the New York Times Magazine's annual medicine issue. Its cover line, Now Are We Ready to Talk About Healthcare? Uh, she, she, wow. she opens the piece by joking, I know what you're thinking. Hillary Clinton and healthcare. Been there. Didn't do that. What? <laughs> <laughs> But the former first lady's humor. I know what you're thinking when <laughs> with Hillary Clinton talking is like that could be a number of things. Right. I know. What I know what thinking. you're thinking. I failed you. I, I, I know what you're thinking. I killed Vince Foster with my bare hands. <laughs> yeah. But this isn't about that. Uh, but the former first lady's humor doesn't last long. Asserting that the healthcare system has declined even further since she proposed giving Americans universal coverage in 1994, she -hmm. makes some new proposals and repeats old ones, including healthcare for all children and all who are in poverty. Oh, wait, hold on. Back up. That's how is that new from universal healthcare? Certainly, well, everyone. It's a, back, it's a backslide. She's like, well, that didn't work. But what if we did Obamacare instead? Basically, yeah. Right, I mean, right. I, yeah. I do. I I love that. It's like, okay, well, so you guys didn't like it in 1994 when I proposed universal healthcare. What if I just completely watered that down and said a handful of people can have yeah. it? That's, and then uh, people want, and then it's children. She's baiting you. Like, don't you want to protect children? Yeah, yeah which absolutely, yeah. and uh, you know everyone else too. But uh, yeah, you know. I mean, yeah, but it's uh, well. But children are I guess cute. Age well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is another. This is this is from the random file. Uh, also from the post. Uh, ticket video shock. Agents did ignore victim. Uh, I felt like what? this was relevant to The Sopranos uh, for some reason. Maybe you'll I'm agree very with excited me. about this. I don't know what any of those words mean. A surveillance video showing an elderly Brooklyn tailor having a fatal heart attack after getting a $115 parking ticket clearly shows NYPD agents blithely ignoring the victim, his family's lawyer claimed yesterday. Oh, fuck. City officials claim 61-year-old Sicilian immigrant Onofrio Avinti was loading groceries into his double-parked SUV when he collapsed in Bensonhurst April 10th. They said the agent who ticketed Avinti outside of Met Food Market was unaware of the man's plight when the agent drove away with the partner. But lawyer Sanford Rubenstein showed reporters his cleaned-up copy of the video, which shows Avinti, apparently in agony, stumbling into the street directly in front of the agent's car. Damn. (laughs) What? City Hall lied to the public and lied to the press, said Rubenstein. Clearly, Mr. Avinti was not putting groceries into the trunk. The heart heart attack began right in front of the agent's car, and Mr. Avinti was blocking it. Avinti's family is suing the city for $100 million. 
Jesus I need Christ. To know what happened. Like he got a $115 ticket uh, and then had a heart attack in front of the car and then apparently no, like, the mean, cops... No, I mean, he got money out of it. I want to know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I could hope... not find a follow-up and I was that very is... sad about it. I assume they settled because otherwise we would probably know about it. I mean, it's just, it, it's like, on the one hand, I'm kind of like, you know, I get it. You know, he's Sicilian. He's being dramatic. You know, he's just <laughs> doing his, like, oh, why do you do this to me? <laughs> Take oh, me now, God. Yeah. <laughs> $115. Who got that kind of money? <laughs> but no, on the I'm other hand, I'm like, how am I going to afford go to for my kids? <laughs> but on the other hand um you know it just goes to show that <laughs> very sad uh, to the yeah, he die? oh uh wait he died yeah he died of a heart attack that's that's yeah gotta fatal be. heart attack yeah he died yeah it was fatal oh my god i thought he I'm, just like got uh, he the help came in oh, wow and you guys oh. laughed at him well, well, no, I mean, we laughed at my comical Italian accent. Dad. You're making fun <laughs> of a dead man. No, Maybe it, it was we're, just a prank. It was just a prank. Oh, we're just doing, <laughs> we're just doing pranks. Um, but, but that yeah. person should be like, at least like some murder should be associated with their name. They they didn't help a dying person. They just yeah. walked away. Yeah. That like, feels very NYPD. They are uh, truly... They're like, nope, not my problem. Like, oh shit, this is gonna be so much paperwork. Speed yeah, around exactly. Him. And was it a meter made? That's probably the worst thing ever. They kept calling look- it an agent. They said NYPD that- traffic agent. Yeah, that's a meter made uh, in one of those like little electric carts. Wow. Oh god. Well, I mean, they I don't said know in 2004 if it was electric, but yeah. They said car, yeah, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, they don't say what kind. Could have been one I of like those to be- little carts. I like to believe it was a little cart. Um, and he just kind of like slowly sped away at 15 miles per hour going full speed. Yeah, that is unfortunately <laughs> hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that is um, so that was, uh, what what a time. What yeah. a time to be alive. Um, the top movies in the country, uh, Kill Bill Volume 2 had just come out, mm. number one at the oh, box yeah. office. Uh, the Punisher, um, uh-huh. that's the one with Thomas Jane. Tom Jane, dude. I think they made two other Punishers, I want to say. Uh, Johnson, Family Vacation, Hellboy, and Home on the Range. Mm. Uh, top pop song is still Yeah by Usher and Lil Jon. Oh, God. <laughs> um, and uh, top rock song is still Figured You Out by Nickelback. Jesus All Christ. All I needed to hear were the top songs, and I brought back immediately. Like, yeah, you know is... exactly where you are. Yeah. It's a dark yeah. time. Yeah. It was a dark time. It was a scary time in the world. Um, but in the Sopranos universe, it was also dark and scary because yeah. uh, you know they're 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 in the mafia. Um, so that's what was going on. And uh, now let's get into this episode. Uh, like Vince said, you know this. Uh, the quick synopsis of this episode is you know Tony meets his dad's Kumar, and um, you know Chris has uh, a friend. Uh, in recovery who he preys on because uh, that's what uh, that's what Chris does so all of that is well and good but uh, as you all know I have my own version of the synopsis Um, you know and this is a synopsis based on the fact that um, we first meet JT Dolan Mm -hmm. a uh, a addict and uh, TV writer who um, is really trying to get this job working on law and order yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you the Bada Bee story. Uh oh. 
Barnaby stories, Sopranos five oh seven. This one's got JT. He writes for TV shows. Yeah, fucking Tony meets Fran Feldstein. She slept with his dad, and he helps to get her some money. Chasing down Philly Atardo. Junior's going a little stir crazy. Yeah, he keeps going to different funerals. But now he's starting to cry at those. Prays on his rehab friend. His name is JT. He pawns his Emmy. What a bitch, my name is fucking Ellie Matt. Flap, flap, flap. There it is. Did you play the guitar for that one? No, that was one. Th- <laughs> I'm almost never doing live instruments. I just, oh it, man! Well, mean- <laughs> think about it. Wow, I didn't think. I mean, this is a compliment. I don't think it's it's very it's gonna be very hard for you to top the "Calling by Your Name" remix that you did. I know but that was pretty fucking. But the, the Law and Order one is pretty good too. I mean, yeah, that was the thing. This one, I was just like, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Who's got the time? You know, like I was just, uh, I, I, I was thinking about like all the songs I could do, and I was like, uh, what if I just did this one in like ten minutes? You know, I mean, they, they name dropped Dick Wolf like three times. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I had no choice but to do the Law and Order theme with the with lyrics. But, uh, but anyways, let's talk about this episode and all of the you know subplots in it all the all the bada b stories that are going on um just general thoughts first vince uh what'd you think about this episode i mean i think this is another fantastic episode this season i feel like uh you know they're really stringing like amazing episodes mm-hmm. back to back this one's like another one that is uh it has an arc but it's also very like thematically tight that yeah i mean the whole thing is about just like how we choose to remember things in a way that like you know flatters ourselves and doesn't really uh you know doesn't really adhere to the facts necessarily like totally. we're remembering things uh, in such a way that uh, uh, you know it flatters our own ego and like the whole episode is about that and you see you see like separate echoes of it with each character and uh you know i don't necessarily think that thematically tight equals a good episode but uh it's just, it was just sort of hitting on all cylinders in this one I think. yeah this was meaty i was yeah. what as soon as i started watching it and realized that jt was introduced in this one i was like oh fuck yeah this douchebag <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah jt okay the, the, jt when he was stroking his own ego uh this this line was so funny to me he says i had the beamer and the actress girlfriend drugs alcohol that stuff practically comes with the Writers Guild card. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, so JT so to me is is such a monumentally funny character to yeah, write yeah. for exactly. The Sopranos because like it holds like a special place in my heart because at this point in my life I've known 
uh, a large handful of TV writers. And the way that the Sopranos chose to shit on TV (laughs) and TV writing in this episode was like, chef's kiss, fucking brilliant. And also, yeah, yeah, sorry. sorry. And also recovery and also like Hollywood memoirs. Like they they managed to like hit them all just in like a few lines of JT. Oh, it's it's so fucking great to make to make this guy. Uh, like a recovering addict slash TV writer and have him basically emulate, I don't know, like every TV writer. <laughs> not every TV writer I've ever known. A few of them are cool. We know but a lot of JTs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know so many JTs who yeah. cannot go a fucking single sentence without doing a name drop, without yeah. like mentioning a job that they're on. It's or a job. It's just, it's, it's the worst. It's... Uh, or, a job that they're getting, a job that they had, like uh, just the the constant name dropping of work, and yeah. also like constantly kind of like, um, you know what he reminds me of? He's every every comedian what if he or named an actual comedian just now. That would be really funny. To me. I'm not gonna, but I was. <laughs> it's every comedian on Twitter who. Uh, the the way they announce something cool is either going, hey, I made a thing. And then it's like this huge, like yeah. they have a TV show and you're like, yeah. that's not a thing. That's I made a TV show. Yeah. And then, <laughs> or it's like, oh, I'm being humble. But like, no, you're really not. Yeah, yeah. I made a thing is the is the fucking most humble braggy yeah. shit for Hollywood people. It Something drives me crazy. Is, it's more subtle, but like on Instagram stories, they'll be like their yeah. laptop in front of them, being like, "Today's office." Like, I'm I'm writing <laughs> this writing shit's easy. I'm just like, I hate it. But I hate it, and and it's like I I will admit, like a lot of this does come from like uh, a place of like resentment for me. Like there's definitely like oh, for sure. I, I look at it I like in total honesty it is you know it starts out with resentment but then you when you get to know enough people who like work in Hollywood like you start there are cool people there are people who do not constantly brag they like they they you know there's people we know who just talk about real life shit but then there's JTs and it yes. and like the cool TV writers or the cool Hollywood people just make the JTs just like pop more yeah, you know exactly. and uh, yeah. And I love that the Sopranos decided to do a whole episode where they were just like, we hate Shitting writers. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I really, I just, I'm a sucker for like self-deprecating humor. Yes. And the the scene where, can I like jump around in the episode or is it like- Oh, ca- please. Carnal? Go ahead. That when he tries to pawn his Emmy <laughs> and the guy is like, if it was an Oscar, an Academy Award, maybe I could give you something for it. But what yeah. is this? He doesn't even uh, oh. recognize what it is. I thought that was so funny. Yeah. He never gets any respect for being a TV writer, yeah. which is like, you can tell is like the one thing that in Hollywood, he would get total respect. Yeah. Anywhere else in the world, they don't give a shit. And, and exactly. I, have a, yeah. I have a clip of that scene. Oh, please. It's a fucking Emmy. It's gold plated. Melt it down, man. Look, I told you $15. Oh, fuck, man. Come on. This is like huge, this shit. To get an Oscar, maybe I could give you something. An Academy Award. A TV. What else you got? I don't know. I got a laptop in my car. Yeah, okay. Cool. I'll check that out. I'm that fucking... is like hands down one of the funniest jokes in the entire series in my opinion. It is. Like yeah. it is so god tier. I love it. 
and it's Tim Daly. The, it's the writers just writing the conversations that they have at Thanksgiving with their family and friends. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> it is. That. It's yeah. It's like it's it, it is like the feeling of their life is important and their work is important and people not knowing what they do or not really caring and just I love the this is like huge this shit <laughs> yeah he yeah. can't elaborate or explain why it's a big deal <laughs> he just huge. has to be like dude come on like obviously you know yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh i fucking like it's the same thing I, that um tim robinson does on uh i think you should leave where he yes. always writes like these inarticulate <laughs> characters who are explaining why something's a huge deal but they never have any follow-up it's just like yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> i yeah, mean yeah. That show is hilarious. <laughs> you guys <laughs> right it's so good every time <laughs> so too good. so good it's yeah. so funny and like you gotta like props to tim daly for mm-hmm. really making this character come to life it is yeah so so good he has the look for that really he like really perfectly does. which is weird because like you'd think an actor would be too good looking to play a writer but it is it fits like our idea of what a writer uh tv writer would look like really well, because perfectly i think it, because i don't know i mean not whatever but he's like a good looking white guy right yes. and like he, he probably like got in the room pretty easily you know what i yes. mean yeah. but he's yes. just, yeah yeah he's like the golden child of tv right the image that you think of which is fucked up when you think about it did like, you ever, no, right yeah did you see you think of any scripted narrative drama and you're like it's fucking seven tim Daly's, it's seven yeah. jt dolan's yeah. and uh-huh. then you know like three maybe women or like oh two women and a black a, guy yeah a brunette yeah <laughs> diversity <laughs> yeah and they're like oh we got we got a diverse staff it's all tim Daly's. yeah yeah, yeah th- and that's just how it's been in hollywood since the beginning the <laughs> you know and it's time yeah yeah since the beginning of hollywood um and it's just kind of like funny to to see i don't know it's cathartic to watch him lose it's one of uh, like <laughs> yeah. the most cathartic episodes for me and again fueled by resentment maybe but like yeah. for me it's mostly just like uh chrissy is in this position chrissy. where he is both uh you know he's in recovery and uh he is hanging out with this guy who he both uh hates and resents <laughs> for his like actually making it in hollywood because chris tried to make it and mm-hmm. failed in hollywood mm-hmm. Um, John but he also, him over. when even when Christopher is like admitting that he fell off the wagon, his admission is, uh, "Yeah, I had I had some wine," and it was like, yeah. "Bro, you chug like half a handle of vodka and then shot up your boss's <laughs> car. You didn't just yeah, have some and wine. also beat your fiance <laughs> who had just been in a car accident. Yeah, yeah, but but, but his but his excuse was my my fiance was in a car accident and I was so emotional. That's right, like a fucked Exa- up lie. That is yeah. a really fucked up lie. So, so Chrissy, it starts out with uh, Chrissy is in a meeting um, with uh, in, in an AA meeting with JT, who's doing his share. And Chris is rolling his eyes at kind of like his constant name dropping and kind of like uh, his ego shining through during a share. Best of all, I had all the flake I needed to keep me churning out that snappy dialogue for Corbin Burnson. <laughs> Practically comes with a writer's guilt card. Anyway. It got so bad that I blew a deadline on a Nash Bridges. But then at one point, uh, JT like name drops him and goes, Chrissy, where are you at? And then he said, this is my friend Chrissy. And he does like a fist. Like he likes being friends with the Hollywood guy yeah. and hates the shit out of it's him at the exact same time. 
love yeah. the relationship. And there's a little bit more hate in this in his actions in yes. this episode. Yeah. But and, it's, yeah. he puts him in like shitty situations and he's like, why are you in this shitty situation? But I feel right, like I right. think Christopher thinks he's being like a good friend for most of this episode. I think so too. Like I, I don't think, so think like, yeah. he, I feel like he thought, oh yeah, this guy like drove me to it basically. Like, yeah. I mean, he's a learning lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah but I also mean, like in that scene where tim daly's doing his share it's kind of like it's kind of like he's doing the very uh stereotypical hollywood it's a stereotypical hollywood memoir at the same time as this <laughs> stereotypical uh aa share where you're mm-hmm. you're very much mythologizing how cool you were like before you fell off the wagon like they totally always, like they have to make their their bottom seem more dramatic by being like oh man I was on top of the world. Right. Like, people do the same thing at church where it was like, oh, yeah, right. I was like the f- most famous art dealer in America until <laughs> right. my wife right. almost ran over this black homeless guy and decided oh, to yeah. adopt him or whatever. Whatever the right. fuck yeah, that yeah. one. What a, what a turn. What a turn. <laughs> hey, you know, church, that it's mo- like that. <laughs> what was that one movie about where the guy was... Uh, uh, the Blind uh, Side? No, it's almost like The Blind Side, <laughs> but like it's like the guy's wife decided to befriend like this guy at the soup kitchen, and then oh, we saw that one. Yeah, uh, with yeah, Digimon yeah, yeah. Hansu. Yeah, Digimon's in that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, same it's kind like, of different as me. That's it. Yeah, same kind of different as me. It's a Christian movie, but yeah, I mean, but it's, yeah, it's it, the same general arc where you make yourself seem really cool at the beginning of the mm-hmm. story. Yeah, because like AA shares when people are kind of like doing them, and, and and it's not the same. I think across the board, you know, some people some people focus uh, entirely on recovery, um, and they do like a a quick share of their background. It's kind of like a, a lot of the times, it's like the point of sharing uh, is kind of to relate to everybody else like you you'll find someone something in everyone's share that is relatable to you as an addict because like all the stories are kind of the same it's like we all kind of like um we all deteriorate in the same way the the illness is progressive and you progressively fucking you know lose all the shit that you had that is a normal share i think with jt you've got like his his ego because he doesn't have a story that is like you know fucking his bottom isn't insane you know he wasn't like selling his ass right Right. his bottom is like you know i found heroin and then i missed a nash bridges deadline (laughs) right and i and then i didn't work for a while and then i I was getting unemployment but it wasn't enough yeah yeah and that right exactly it it was it's just like it, it, because he's in this position of privilege and he doesn't have like his bottom being like this incredibly cool, like incredibly like crazy story. It needs to be a cool story. Mm-hmm. And so he's name dropping the entire time. I was and doing then, enough flake to keep pumping out that snappy dialogue <laughs> that Corbin Burnson loves. That's the stereotypical like, Hollywood memoir thing where they can never just say cocaine. They have to give it like a cool yeah, name. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a cool guy cool. name. I called it cool names. I was with the cool kids. And they yeah. presented yeah. me with this magical white powder. And I was like, exactly. what is this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like they can't actually ever uh, step away from their privilege. Even in AA meetings, they're like, mm-hmm. "I'm still better than you." <laughs> yeah, and that and, he, yeah. and that really shines through in everything that uh, JT is doing. So afterwards, uh, Chris and JT go to a diner, and um, and JT spends like a good amount of time just kind of uh, bragging about stuff. And uh, before he asks Chris what's up with him, and I I just have a clip of that. My new agent. Next week, he's got me set up to meet Dick Wolf's guy. I seen Dick Wolf at Rayo's one night. Guy's got his own limo. That law and order money? 
Guy could have his own battleship. But, um, not for my shit. How are you doing? Good. You know, working the program. Yeah, hella good, dude. Shit's going great for me. So Thank you for asking after bragging about your fucking uh, possible job. Yeah. It, yeah. It's this constant, like, just constant bragging about his life and all the cool shit he's doing. And you can see that Chris is, he's feeling low. It's almost like there are certain toxic relationships that exist. I think this is true outside of the program mm-hmm. where um, you're... Uh, if you've ever been friends with a braggart, uh, you'll know the feeling of them constantly talking about cool shit they're going to do or, you know, uh, are doing or whatnot. And they just, you leave the conversation feeling worse about yourself. And, and it's like, it's like, I used to think like this was a a totally just a me problem. I'm like, man, I'm like, really, I've got too much resentment because every time I, I talk to this person, they just, you know, they mention something cool they're doing and I just feel bad about myself. And then I realized it's like, no, this is a toxic thing we have going on because if you reverse it, the, the, the same thing happens to them. And there's just like, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of a... A universal thing. If, if JT, I mean, what JT was telling him is so normal in LA. Like everyone yes. does that kind of, like not everyone, like, and, like stupid people do that to just like hype themselves up being like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I have an interview for XYZ or whatever. But in the context of like sitting in a New Jersey diner with Chris, yeah. it seems stupid. And I think Chris recognizes <clears throat> this like, his, like an imbalance of what he, he perceives like power and i think he like right. claims it with his actions later on you know what i mean so yeah. it's, yes there's also yes. A, a very good moment of scene setting in there that i wanted to point out where like the first shot of christopher is he's like checking out the girl next to him's tits out of the corner of his eye and then, <laughs> and then he snaps back into focus of jt's uh share and that was just such a great it was like a split second but it was such a perfect shot to set that whole yeah. scene yeah, I mean, setting Chris up as someone who's staring at tits while this guy is sharing and then listening to his share uh, and then rolling his eyes at him and then later, like, giving him a fist bump, like, yeah, I'm your friend. Like, yeah. that is, it's it's perfect fucking, it's comical. like, it's, it's, it's comical, comical yeah. and it's exposition without any fucking uh, dialogue from him. He doesn't need to say anything. You know exactly what yeah. this relationship is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so... Chris admits that he uh, relapsed and um, JT kind of gives him a hard time about it. And, you know, it's like, oh, why don't you call your sponsor or call me? And then he runs out of there because he's like, you know, he's like got a date or something. And Chris is convinced that he is going to fucking cop. He's like, mm-hmm. po- he, he, he's positive that this guy's going to go get high and he's just not saying anything. Um, so he confronts him uh, at the gym And JT says, no, this is not at all uh, fucking about me getting high. I went to go gamble at the racetrack. And that's when I feel like this is unintentional on Chris's part, but he lights up a little bit. He's just like, hey, if you want, I can take your action. I can capitalize on this. Yeah. 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 But see, again, I don't necessarily think that that is a conscious thing. It's kind of like. I don't think so. Where they're talking about it with Tony and uh, and Artie like a few episodes back. It's almost just like reptilian brain where they just like slip into like, well, yeah, I could wet my beak on that. And it's not really. (laughs) I don't think it's a conscious. Like, it's not as calculated as as it might seem you know i think yeah. it's just second nature to be like oh i'm i could organize like i do this thing and you can 
come in and see try your luck but also I, I think, i'm not gonna play favorites i think you're totally right there's like a level of like personal responsibility that like mobsters believe in where they're like um you know because it, it's not just fucking people like jt like degenerates who are gambling their friends are gambling other mobsters mm-hmm. are gambling you know and and you know for him it's like yeah you know go ahead and gamble i'm happy yeah. to take your action the idea that you would get busted out is like that's on you even though they are the ones doing it you know like charging them a hella interest making them pay vig like they're like whoa this is not on me you know yeah well i almost think like i think chris was seeing like giving him his own responsibility like chris left he's like i'm gonna go i'll see you in the morning at the gym whatever like i think he fully expected him kind of to be at like to show up you know totally i think so too he's proven wrong and he realizes that like JT just traded in an addiction for another one. And right. It's too far gone at that point. And- There's this great moment in the bar when after JT wins uh like a sports bet, um, where he is saying, you know, I never really got into, I don't know, like games of card before or whatever the games fuck you called chance, it. Yeah games of chance but there's something about you know this that's so i don't know what and then it's like (laughs) is addictive (laughs) is addictive bro is that is that what you're trying to say (laughs) like it's it's so clear i was gonna say i think tim daly he's so great as this character in that like you a hundred percent can never tell if he's being uh, earnest or if he's full of shit. Yeah, like, they, like he always every single line could be a lie in this. In like, this even show. when he was even when he was telling Kim I was at the racetrack, I didn't believe him, even though I knew like I know what's what's gonna happen. Like everything yeah. he says is so transparently not honest yeah right. it's just it's all it's all ego based too yeah. because he was just like i just got a three grand residual on a that's life episode yeah it's like, <laughs> i mean his whole his whole identity is tied to pompousness and like yeah to being a tv writer up. and being yeah. a big 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 shot hollywood guy yeah yeah, yeah. that's funny that that like i didn't remember that's life so i had to like look it up but apparently like, I, I did a too. Show? That's it's a real show yes. that was on oh. cbs uh, from 2000 to 2002. So it's only like two years removed from when the show mm. was right. on. And it's like another like sort of mob adjacent show uh, yes. that's set in like Newark and in New Jersey. So they're, they're really like taking shots at the competition with this wow. one. I, I know. It was straight up a diss track. It was, it was a, like a, a diss track. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, that's hilarious now that I think about it. Like, because like if you dig deep, it's like, oh, this white guy is talking kind of about a version of Chris's life. Yeah, yeah like, right. You know, yeah. And he says that that Guinea Fest with Paul Sarvino, yeah. that was totally unrealistic. Yeah. yeah. The hour-long yeah. series follows the life of a young Italian-American woman l- loosely based on Diane Ruggiero and her family in suburban New Jersey. The show is set in fictional Belfield, ostensibly a play on the combination of Belf- Belleville and Bloomfield. Uh, in the first season, Frank DeLuca works as a toll collector on the New Jersey Turnpike, while Dolly is a housewife. It just it sounds like a CBS sitcom. Kevin Dillon played Polly, Lydia's younger brother, who was a a young officer on the Belfield Police Department who still lived at home. Oh, yes. They got Kevin Dillon and Debbie Mazur. So, you know, this is a real like trial run for Entourage. But also, I think like The Sopranos was already on for a while at that point. Right. I feel like they they were like, oh, Italians are doing well. Let's like, yes, that's totally right. And I feel like I feel like the writers of the show knew that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like just like like, I don't know. 
They probably yeah, tried to poach it. some of the actors at some yeah. point. Yeah, 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 yeah. They totally did. So Biden are stuck. Like I bet Paul Sorvino was like in talks to do like something on oh, there, yeah. and they be. were like, oh, "Sorry, I got to do that's life." Um, yeah. But gotta go uh, make that network money from CBS, and they're like, exactly. "Oh, hey." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's really funny how many name drops there are. Like, it's, oh, he constantly I, I didn't does know it. that that's life was even real. And yeah. I love that. Like, there's also this really funny part before Chris or uh, JT gets beaten up by Chris and this whatever that guy's name is. Yeah, and yeah. And he's Will like, Pauly. "What is this Pulp Fiction?" Yes, and that's his only frame of reference for people fighting. Like, <laughs> yeah. <it's> all- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so good. Like, no, dude, this is real life, stupid. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. "Oh yeah. shit." So oh, that's also another great line where he's like, what can you do to me that I haven't already been through? And it's like, oh, it's so it's like, we know what? that's a line you say in you AA, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of the greatest scenes uh, in this episode. Uh, but, but before we get there, uh, so JT uh, shows up to the executive game and right. fucking, you know, is is playing cards and whatnot. And he's losing to Vito and he's also losing to the car wash King. <laughs> Um, who I don't know who he is, but uh, he has a moment where he asks him about TV writing, but nobody gives a shit. Cowboys and three little Indians. Fuck me. So when you write on TV, what do you have? Like one guy writes the words for Dylan McDermott and one guy writes for Nicholson's girlfriend. That's the way it is. You write it all yourself. Oh, interesting. It is the curse of being a writer in any yeah. capacity is that like when someone asks you what you do for a living and then you're not quick enough to think of a lie uh, and then you say writer and then like there's always 10 follow up questions and like the answers are always way longer than they are interesting and like you know right. that going in and you like it feels like you're being mean to the person but really you just want to save them uh, the boredom of the ensuing yeah. conversation because you've right. been there before. Yeah. And also, yeah. like, he's not used to, like, I'm sure he is fielding questions about it, being a TV writer, like, when he's in L.A., in Hollywood, and, like, you know, some People don't young... don't bat an eye, you know what I mean? Right. Well, like, yeah. some young, hungry writer, maybe, you know, like, he would love to take under his wing and tell him how right, the biz works. Right. But he's they're starting from such, like, a place of total ignorance of how tv works <laughs> that they're like so does uh do different people write different lines for different characters i just love that like it's like two seconds or less after he like loses so much money and he's like they ask him this question <laughs> it's just so funny to me it's like oh fuck it's like so uh tv writing this thing that you pretend to do yeah yeah and then he's just also like huh interesting yeah. no it's not both, it's not interesting they're to anybody both being condescending in their own way really. yeah yes yeah. Well, they also, um, I like that Christopher also bait and switched him where he's like, yeah, I got a high stakes game for you. David, I can't say that oh, the names of the famous people that play in there, but you know, David Lee Roth. And then he shows yeah. up and it's like the car wash king of New Jersey. It's, like, yeah. it's a car wash king and fucking, fucking veto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can hear Tony in the background at one point. He goes like, we got some really big players coming tomorrow or something mm-hmm. like that, where it's like clear that he's going to kind of like the off season of the executive game for that night. Yeah. So Chris comes back uh, to the executive game and finds that JT is still there losing like fucking crazy. And um, it's it's clear that, you know, uh, he's a fucking gambling addict. And mm-hmm. JT... The most like, telegraphed loses- plot line of all time. And it still works. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is crazy because it's like this is a plot line that's been done before on this. Like we've we've already had Davy Scavino uh, in. <laughs> right. It's like either season one or season two um, who gets busted out uh, because he's like fucking he's a homie of a gangster and decides to fucking like, you know, be a degenerate gambler and lose all of his fucking money at mm-hmm. cards. But for for this particular character, it's so much more funny because of the fact that he is so confident that he is going to be fine because he's like got that Hollywood type of confidence where it's like nah man you know easy come easy go but don't worry like I'm about to get this huge job so uh you think I could borrow money for child support (laughs) because I mean like it's he's always the main character of his story right so it's gonna have to work out for him and like yeah he is the protagonist of every fucking story in his mind and and yeah. I don't know. It's I think just like the pulp fiction line later, he mm-hmm. he hasn't experienced any kind of real life. Like mm-hmm. he's like, yeah. Oh, I've gambled. Yeah, I'm gonna do great at this. Or like, yeah, I've done XYZ, but like now he's in the real world of people that like do this all yes. the time and yes. it's pathetic. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, and so he 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 borrows some money from uh, Chris, who gives him uh, the money that he owes uh, the room, and he also gives him some money for incidentals, like mm-hmm. you know child support or whatnot. Yeah. And then he he finds out he's like charging him vig, and Chris has this great line: "Don't give me that look. This is your problem. I will not fucking enable you." Yeah, his version of I mean, he does have a point. Helpful, he's like trying to be a good friend. I really think so. (laughs) He is, yeah, in a way, he he is. is. He is, but it's also like his idea of not enabling someone is to charge them big. I love that. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost like he's. He's, it's almost like a dad being like, I'm giving you this responsibility. This is a learning lesson. <laughs> right, exactly. This yeah. is him making his son smoke the whole pack. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's and cr- it's so also great that, like, as dumb as Christopher is, he can immediately, like, calculate the interest on, like, a $60,000 loan yeah. and, like, what the installments are going to be. I was yeah, like, was yeah. I was like, I need yeah. to go back and get a calculator to make sure this is all right because I can't. It's pretty do impressive. My taxes. Yeah. But you see a little bit of like Chris's, I mean, maybe I'm reading into it, but I think at this point, his eyes are a little like he lights up a little bit when he figures out like that this guy has been there all fucking like two days. And like there's part of me that it's that swing in the balance of power is happening where Chris is kind of realizing like, you know, he's not going to let his friend off the hook here because he's not right. really his friend. Yeah. And uh, like deep so, like, down, like I am like, he's like thinking like this guy bothers this. He annoys me so much. And I yes. think he was genuinely surprised to see him there. And I do agree. There was like a gl- like a flicker in his eyes. And suddenly yes. he was like, Oh, 
I have the upper hand now. I'm yes. Keep it here. Yeah, yeah. And he he fucking like, you know, because like he is when he's at the at that bar and uh, JT wins, like he's feeling low again because he's he's relapsed again. And this guy is fucking just once again beating Chris at this game of recovery, mm-hmm. you know, in life. Yeah. It's like he's this guy is clean. He's working out all the time. He's got all this TV shit going on and he just won a bet. And now the, his luck is starting to turn and like a fucking seesaw chris is feeling a little bit better so chris goes over to his house where chris uh threatens his recovery friend <laughs> for yeah. the money and uh i i have a clip of that i was away i went to ac where's my money i don't have it yet but you went to ac i have a meeting next week with renee Bolsay. Dick Wolf's right-hand guy. He likes my stuff. He told my agent, I'm going to be on staff. I got out of that business because people fuck you over. John Favreau, faggot cocksucker, tried to steal my ideas. I swear on all that's holy. I'll have your money next week. That wasn't the deal. I'll be back tomorrow. Don't make me a jerk-off. The next morning. I'm JT, by the way. Is this fucking Pulp Fiction? Am I supposed to be afraid? I don't know. I didn't see it. You're really being a prick, huh? I... I told you, I need more time. I don't have the money. Then fucking get it. Chris, you know me. What could you possibly do to me that I haven't already been through? I'm positive we'll think of something. Yeah, but I think that's like part of the reason... That The Sopranos is such a good show is that, uh, you know, they don't make Christopher like a total bad guy. Like he did give this guy uh, three or four opportunities to change his behavior. And the guy Mm -hmm. like the guy sort of pushed him to it. But then he is. uh, But then Christopher is also uh, like inherently predatory. Like the whole the whole mafia thing basically consists of figuring out ways to make money off of your friends. Uh, And so he's just doing that. Like, what do you expect him to do? Yeah, and, and, and it's the first, you know, like th- th- it's interesting because this is the first time I feel like JT has ever encountered um, a person like Chris, like an actual mafioso, and this is the first time he hasn't been able to like charm his way out of a situation. Right. <laughs> so he's just kind of like, "Man, you're really being a prick, huh?" Right. And yeah. it's like, my, my usual tricks aren't working. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, and yeah. the fact that Lil Polly is like, "I don't know, I never seen it like that." <laughs> I so. mean, okay, but like that. So th- that there's like a perfect like parallel there. Like uh, JT is his only frame of reference for violence is this Tarantino movie. Yes. And on the other hand, the person that like maybe that violence is like semi based off of has never seen it. So it's like, it's almost like saying like Hollywood is made for people that live in a fantasy land. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, never even mm-hmm. experienced anything. Try moving to the suburbs with like a, uh, like a creative industry job. And then like you try to like when, when you try to explain what you do to other people whose jobs are like, Oh, I'm a lawyer or I fucking <laughs> install drywall or like whatever. Like it's it, you can't say your own job without feeling like an idiot. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and just like JT is I think starting to realize especially after he gets beat up that like this this is the first sociopath he's ever met. 
Mm. Uh, and like this is this is what a real sociopath is like and and nothing like exemplifies that moment more than when uh, after he tries to hawk his emmy um <laughs> uh, he like f- uh, chris comes over to check in on him because he hears that he's been uh, hitting the vein and um and chris is trying to you know be like man you were doing so good and you fucked it all up and uh <laughs> And he's like, you know, why didn't you just, you know, why didn't you just call me? Where do you get the right? And and JT has this look on his face like, is this guy, this guy is fucking insane. Yeah. He, the, he, yeah. This guy literally doesn't understand why I wouldn't call him the guy who just beat the shit out of me. Well, he yeah. just like, Chris, I think, but he, I think in a way he genuinely means it because he's just able he to does. Car- he, he's, he's able to car- compartmentalize these yeah. parts of his life, right? Because like he, he still yeah. considers JT a friend, and like that look that JT gives him is so funny. He he does it again in the car later, mm-hmm. and it's just this the funniest like. Are you shitting me? Yeah, like, yeah. You're kind of why I'm here. Yeah, Chris <laughs> genuinely doesn't understand why other people don't look at him as the like five compartmentalized personalities that he is. It's like, yes. well, yeah. yeah, obviously I didn't mean for you to call me like the big collecting Chris. I wanted you to call the uh, sponsor Chris, which are right, obviously exactly. two different people, and everyone can yeah. see that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. There's a level of like these guys living. Um, their compartmentalized identities in ways that they're so normalized to them that mm-hmm. they just don't understand. Like, yeah, they no, don't, they you, don't understand. You call rehab me. I'm the good yeah. me. <laughs> I also think that like JT is a little naive in thinking like this guy's my friend. He wouldn't do this to me. And <laughs> oh, like yeah. in Chris's world, you you basically kill your friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah. not. Well, yeah. what isn't JT naive about? Like, he's the guy That's who's true. like, I don't know why, as an addict, I'm finding gambling so appealing. Yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah. it's like, really, bro? I mean, like, what did you learn in AA? Yeah, yeah but yeah. that's the thing. To me, he he is the perfect example of somebody who um, got clean in rehab and got his like recovery in rehab, and all of it was kind of based on. Um, kind of like external fucking um, pleasing people on an external level. He's in rehab because he wants his jobs back. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's getting clean and sober because he wants to, you know, get back to the be the person that he was before all of this. He's not doing it in order to like have um, to be a better th- person or something. to be a better person yeah. or beyond that to like make up for all the terrible shit oh, that he's yeah. done. He's not doing it to uh, like he's got no spirituality uh, at all. He's mm-hmm. like that for him this is a means to an end mm-hmm. and so i feel like he is uh it's fu- it's funny at the in that first scene after he brags about fucking everything that he's ever done he goes uh today i want to talk about taking a moral inventory which is to me that more uh, moral inventory is the name of this episode the alternate <laughs> title like taking a moral inventory is basically when you're uh listing all of your character defects and all of the good things about you all the bad things about you all the people you hurt and whatnot it's like uh it's part of the program and this is uh, an episode for the viewer where you are taking JT's moral inventory the whole time. You are mm. seeing all of his defects of character before he's even seeing it. And, um, and it's just, it's just wonderful. It ends with yeah. him, uh, fucking having to pawn, uh, having to sell his car. Everything. Yeah. But like Chris spends this whole episode, like just saying, thinking that recovery is saying a bunch of uh, platitudes. Mm. Yeah. And like, there's at one point where, 
<laughs> what what is it? He's he's uh, in his office and he finds out about you know the fact that JT is uh, using again, and there's a sign right next to Christie's face that just says "Expect miracles." And it's, <laughs> it's, it's I missed that. That is so oh, it's funny. it's a, a small moment, but I love it because like you see those signs and like you see a lot of this like recovery talk throughout like yeah. you know different meeting spaces. Sometimes you go to a meeting in someone's well, house and you, and it's yeah. like this guy is surrounding himself with the literature and the platitudes of AA but not really internalizing it and it yeah. ends with him telling him right before he drops him off and steals his car there's no chemical solution to a spiritual problem and then I he drives that away line. I love that line coming out of his mouth because I think both of them treat recovery like a diet you know what i mean like oh, oh, yes they have yes. like a, I, I ate too much today. how could you not follow through like come on girl like whatever <laughs> and it's just like to them it's like a diet like they go on and off and that's yes. what i think it is but. They, they remind me of like kind of like success win bros on uh on instagram you know like like hashtagging keep grinding taking a picture of themselves <laughs> at the gym you know this is this is all for the external world it's not at yeah. all for the internal you know exactly exactly um and it's just wonderful i mean it's just it's uh, more jt i say yeah more yeah. but Great let's character. move on Please. Well, we this also is, got uh, Junior yeah. Soprano Funeral Crasher mm, to yeah. talk about. Yeah, so Junior Soprano's uh, storyline in this episode is uh, it's it's a bit thin, um, but it is kind of uh, you're you're kind of <laughs> this is the continuing journey of his mental health ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Like he is finally, um, you know, his memory is recovered. He's feeling a bit better. Uh, his uptake inhibitors, as Bobby called them, uh, are working. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he is using funerals as an excuse to, you know, get out of house arrest. And um, he's talking about the food at a kid's funeral. Yeah. yeah, it's this is just an episode where Junior is just being inappropriate at funerals. Yeah, uh, which I think would have been like, I think that part of it would have been b story like on a lot of uh shows mm-hmm. um but the but sopranos being the sopranos like they don't let you have the happy ending ever even yeah. in the no. middle of the episode like but by, by the end of the episode they just have junior completely crashing and <laughs> yeah uh, he broke it, yeah it's, it's like yeah. internalizing like the morbid nature of uh the funerals and like recognizing that he doesn't have the family like all these people do yeah well, because when he's like making, when he's commenting about the spicy chicken or whatever at this kid's <laughs> funeral, you you look at that and you're like, wow, this guy has no empathy. And then it's just like this, it's piled up until mm-hmm. he actually breaks and he's like, uh, I can't do this anymore. He got, yeah. he got reverse irony poisoning. He got like earnestness poisoning from being at too many funerals. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, he's got, there's just so many great moments of him at funerals. Number one, he calls uh, Awake an After Party. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was so good. That was I great. Mean, but it's like, if you go to like Italian or like, I assume Jewish funerals a similar way, it's like, yeah, like it is basically like an after party. Like True. you can't mm-hmm. grieve without having like a giant spread of food for whatever reason. Where, I feel like people would, like people commenting on the food at like an Italian funeral seems pretty normal. <laughs> I mean, but it's not definitely after very, the mother yeah. is crying into someone's arms. Sure, like, there, there's, there's, yeah, there's no. like timing, you know. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah, but yeah, a kid dies, uh, and Junior is looking for any excuse to get out, and so he hears from Bobby that this kid drowned 
in a in a jacuzzi mm-hmm. and he calls up mel his lawyer and, and he says i got another funeral it's a kid his father does my shirts yeah. and, <laughs> and it's like he's like they have to be related to you and he's like come on yeah. so he's able to go to that funeral and he's just like mm, the chicken's nice and spicy yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and yeah he does finally break down at uh at the the other guy's funeral um this is kajet's um uncle zio Uncle Zio. Uh, so his uh, her, her husband um, is uh, is now dead too, From and Harper. Junior has, yeah, Junior has a hilarious breakdown that I think is. I just, thought it was really sad. You're a monster. I thought it was funny. What's the point? Uncle I can't take it anymore. Hey, you need to lower your voice, guys. There is something about something about that scene just like got well, me. I think just the idea of them being like, "Oh man, he's crying too hard at a funeral. We got to take him out of here." I mean, he's just embarrassed. He, the, like he is, his entire storyline is him being embarrassing at funerals, and uh, that's just a fantastic storyline. That's just, uh, I just love that so much. And then he goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, uh, you know, we'll we'll try to like fix the medication. Um, mm-hmm. What did you do? I don't know. They after me. But yeah, that that's uh, that's basically Junior's storyline, um, and it, it intersects with uh, Fran's storyline, which we're about to get mm-hmm. into. In that um, Junior uh, is secretly uh, in love with um, Johnny Boy Sopranos, his brother's uh, Gumar, mm-hmm. and uh, we meet for the first time Fran Feldstein uh, at a funeral. Oh, before that, I'm sorry, we have to talk about Tony's family dog. <laughs> Well, that's also part of it, though. Yeah. That's yes. also, yeah. Yeah. Tippy. So, Tippy the dog. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Tony is over at Janice's um, and uh, kind of doing his thing where he's, like, say, trying to say nice things, but he's still talking mm-hmm. shit to Janice. He says, like, uh, yeah, the, ki- the kids seem to like you, sort of. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, you know, that's as close as Tony's going to get to a compliment. And then yeah. Janice's line is, uh, I just let what, let them do whatever they want all the time because how else are they going to learn? And you're like, uh-huh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is, I'm, I'm to connect that to JT, that's exactly what yeah. uh, Chris did with JT. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're sitting around watching Beethoven, uh, <laughs> which is a movie about a dog. Yeah. Uh, and um Classic. And they, they ask for, you know, they ask Janice, can we please get a dog? And I, I have a clip of that. Can we get a dog, please? I'll walk him and I'll pick up the poo and pee. Pee? Right. Start with your underwear. We had a dog. Remember? I mean, just clowning your I stepkid. Mean, it's so that, one, that one kind of like triggered me because I used to like, I, I wet the bed when I was younger because I had really bad anxiety. And so that yeah. was, I felt for that kid in that moment. I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, just such a perfect comment on what a yeah. shitty stepmom she is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Because after it was right after they were like, you're great at this. <laughs> yeah. Just makes fun of me. Yeah. got worms, though. Yeah. Had to move to the country. Tippy was gassed, Tony. Daddy took him to the pound. He used to drag his ass on the carpet just to scratch himself. Gassed? And he's so cynical about everything else. <laughs> Father told me he took him to live on a farm. That's what they always say. 
That same farm must have 17 billion dogs on it. You forgot that you cut off the line, dog shit up to the rafters, which is like yeah, one of my right. favorite lines. <laughs> like he's got to paint a picture of the of the yeah. fictional farm. Like they don't do a lot of uh, like meta editorializing in The Sopranos, mm-hmm. but uh, when Janice is like, oh, and he's so cynical about everything else, yeah. Uh, yeah. it works yeah. really well. It does I mean, work. Yeah. This is the first glimpse in this episode of just how much a baby Tony is and like how much of a real, like a child, there's certain aspects of his life are, you know? Right. Like it's, it's sprinkled throughout the whole thing, but. Yeah, he's because yeah. he's I- idealizing his childhood in this mm-hmm. way where like for, for him, you know, like he's not going to believe that his father had lied to him about, you know, Tippy. It's like, no, he moved to the country. And, yeah. and it's yeah. like he just. Uh, As dogs he hasn't really, do. Yeah, as though even often question do. how weird that sounds. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. Nor yeah. nor like how obvious that is. That's like well, that's what they always say, as Bobby yeah. said, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's because he really idealizes his childhood and he idealizes his father, who would never lie to him, even though, right. you know, we see later that uh his father lies a lot. Um so they they go to uh Aunt Gajet's funeral, uh and uh he goes to Tony goes to visit his father's grave. His mother is there too, but he's very specifically going there to visit his father's yeah. grave. He's <laughs> he like covering his one eye so he doesn't see the mother's part of the grave. Right, exactly. I'm not here for you. And and that's when we meet for the first time uh, Fran Feldstein, who uh, is uh, you know the girl from the fur department so, at uh, Bambergers. Another question here, like the like as with JT. Mm-hmm. Um, basically everything that Fran says, like you could choose to interpret it as earnest or not. Um, mm-hmm. and then like, so just by the end, like you realize she's kind of, you know, like a sad alcoholic who is kind of manipulative with people in her life. Um, but right. I guess like the bigger question is like, they sort of leave it ambiguous as to whether she manipulated this entire situation or whether she genuinely was just happened to be there at, uh, the Soprano funeral yeah. on on a funeral day, or a Soprano th- yeah. gravesite on funeral I, day. I think um, she was she's just doing what she's always done. She's always mm-hmm. lived her life in this way, and she's gotten money. This like kind of doing similar things. You know what I mean? Just like mm-hmm. being charming or whatever. I don't think it's that calculated, mm-hmm. or maybe it is. Like I don't think the, the percentage of calculation versus just like what she's always done is kind of, you know what I mean? I don't know. Right. Yeah. I know. I agree with you uh, for most of it, but, but then like it sort of raises the question. She doesn't necessarily seem like the type of person who is uh, going to the grave of her ex-boyfriend. Like it seems a little out of character for her. Maybe hard to tell. It's hard to tell um, whether or not she like planned it out, knew that this funeral was happening and And like, she know that tony would go up there yeah and to me I, well i, feel I mean like he's there's one of his family members is having like a funeral uh somewhere sure. else in the same cemetery it could be assumed but in, in this case i gave it the benefit of the doubt her delivery of the line when he she like sits next to tony and says uh you know your father always said if i ever needed anything i could always count on you and he's like what do you need and she turns and goes absolutely nothing like i i I think in general, I believed that Tony, Tony kind of like goes out of his way to find a reason to help her mm-hmm. because of the fact that she displayed such kindness in like going mm-hmm. to, right. you know, visit this grave, something which, his mother, he thinks his mother would never do and something right. his mother probably never did, yeah. which makes well, I, me, I don't know, which makes me question the motive because, because I'm kind of with uh, uncle junior on this where 
Tony's like, hey, why don't we go visit uh, my my father's gravestone? And he's like, what, I'm going to talk to a chunk of marble? Fuck yeah. that. I'm going to the after party, which that, I don't know, that strikes me as more realistic. I never understood the thing in movies where people are like going to to, to gravestones and like talking to them. Well, I don't know. I think it's, it's just like Tony's I, no, I get that. side. And I also I think, think like the minute he sees her and realizes who she is, there's a connection he feels to his dad, right? And I feel like in his head he was like, like he was like proud and happy that like this woman was so obsessed with his dad that she's like here years later. But I also mm-hmm. think it made him think like, wow, I'm gonna have so many women at my grave one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he's yeah. living in the he's ri- living in the romanticized past. Like he wants to be connected to like the heyday of the mafia, yeah. and like they bring mm-hmm. up JFK, which is like you know probably like the high water mark of like the mafia being involved in politics and sort right. of important to world events so he's right. kind of like living in this uh I, I mean his entire identity is built on this like recapturing this idealized past right. uh, and then he meets his father's mistress and like any like lifelong uh, single person like you always think their their life is way cooler than it actually is and it turns right, out she's kind of course. just like an alcoholic with a lot of uh, <laughs> whatever a, a lot of debt yeah yeah well, just like uh, with JT yeah. it's all a facade it is but uh, yeah he things slowly start to fall apart with him and Fran um, throughout the the episode uh, first Tony finds out that uh, what actually happened to Tippy, and it's just so much worse than him being <laughs> he gassed. He's genuinely so mad. As a, so as a grown so ass man, that's so funny to me. Such a good I, I reveal, a, too. Yeah, I have a I have a clip of that. No, 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 the dog. Oh, freckles! He was a gift from your dad. What? Oh, uh, when? Oh, this is my fucking dog. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. This was my dog. His name was Tippy. Bruce loved him. I mean, he had him for almost 10 years till he moved to Tel Aviv. Then I had to put him to sleep. <laughs> the way she says that. So yeah, the ending. I mean, it is kind of so like, good. you know, if you find out your your father had this mistress, it's almost worse to find out that your dog that you thought died just had this whole other secret family. Well, I think it's yeah. hilarious And a because different name. Like, when he sees the picture of her son, what did he think for a brief moment? Is this my half-brother? But instead, he's, like, focused on the dog. Like that, so Yeah, that's actually what I was thinking the same yeah. thing. I was like, he seems to uh, have been ignoring the kind of, like, physiological similarities between him and the kid yeah. uh, and, and completely and just focusing. And why his dad on... would give him a dog? Like Right. Yeah. And, and, like, part of me is like, wait, is this his bastard half-brother? And yeah. uh, But I feel like... I feel like that's yeah. this classic Sopranos just uh, like defying natural sitcom or television expectations. Because yes. yes. like in any other show, it'd be like about a half brother and they're like, nope, True. it's entirely about the dog. A dog yeah. named Tippy. Yeah. yeah. Which in and- a way is like, uh, can you imagine if your dad growing up just gave away the dog and he was living with some other family for half your childhood? <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it is, it is like kind of <laughs> fucked up, but like... I would have thrown a tantrum, I don't think. Oh, like, I, don't I would. Know. <laughs> yeah, no, but Vince, you love dogs, especially weirdly. Uh, <laughs> you know, like that's 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 your own thing. I think if it were me, you, I mean, I would be like a little bit put off. If your parents gave away your dog, you wouldn't like be, feel completely betrayed. 
I think I would be more pissed off, not about the fact that it was given away, because I'm already over that. That happened mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. I'd be more pissed off, and I think this is where you know Tony is at. He's more pissed off that like the dad gave it away to someone else who he was kind of starting a little family with. Yeah, like yeah. almost like he had. Well, that's he a had completely a different family. story than like the dog went to go live on a farm. Like true, true, true. Of course, but I but also I think it's you also know like the first indication that like oh my dad lied to me. He's not perfect. You know, like yes, he's not this hero I thought he was. And you see later on just how wrong he was in other ways. But and also I just think like that's the first glimpse into that. You know, he put yeah, and also he put Tony on equal footing with like some other random kid kid that yeah. uh, right. was yeah. also in his life like i think that's his half brother i i'm just I, saying I, I really do think it's his half brother and I think tony so too. is just so egotistical that he can't even consider anything mm-hmm. but his dog in that photo <laughs> yes so um moving on with this story um so fran feldstein kind of mentions offhandedly this racetrack uh mm. that his uh his father johnny boy owned um is and it offhandedly now that Vince that's is like the question making her is more it calculated i'm looking at it differently now because i didn't analyze it that way it's well, possible that she, she did it more uh, uh, like kind of more calculated right. but um i mean like the whole episode is sort of seeing like slowly turning on this character and being like oh yeah. maybe she's not as nice right i mean even right, hesh right. when i forget what hesh says about her but he's like yeah i never is liked it that just woman. something always, uh well he also said she's a little pale for my taste so it's not like yeah, <laughs> yeah. well it's because he's yeah. like he's I understand, but what, yeah, it's just I, yeah, the casual dropping. That was of, his I, I, only, problem with I only it, date yeah. date black women uh, so every great. time he's in a scene. Every time. <laughs> Um, I also like that she calls uh, Hesh a whore master. Not yeah. sure what that is. <laughs> That's a yeah. great word. Yeah. But it is like, I imagine it, it meant like pimp. Like yeah. he was yeah. like, like someone that just like had. Yeah, exactly. Well, but I've heard the word whoremonger before, but whore master is, is whore master better. It's like is nice really good. Whore master is a cool nickname for a, like a porn star. <laughs> 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 um, like, uh, yeah. Anyways, if I ever like quit podcasting and want to go full porn, I'm going to be mm. Matt whore master Lee just letting sure. you guys know oh, okay cool um anyways um yeah so she tells him about this racetrack should have been her retirement and he takes it upon himself to be the guy who's gonna get that money talks to hesh talks to philly leotardo and um and you know philly does not want to pay you know this person neither neither does hesh hesh is still oh i should give it to some trollop which <laughs> <Yeah>. is <laughs> fantastic but philly like really takes offense to the idea that somehow you know he owes 40 grand yeah and um uh, there's this wonderful scene where uh philly just runs away from tony yeah and car uh, chase and rock the casbah's play oh yeah, yeah. It's like, and, philly and Phil, don't Phil, like it Phil casually it. tosses out his ice cream out the window i watched that part three times it was yeah. so funny to me yeah. like it was just like boop he's like oh i'm in uh, a car chase i gotta throw away this snow yeah. cone mm, yes yeah. but he gets his ass kicked um and uh you know it just i love i love watching tony throw his weight around especially you know with new york because mm-hmm. those guys truly don't respect him yeah you know i'm so, thinking i'm thinking about it now and this scene is very reminiscent of you know they brought up pulp fiction in the episode but remember there's like a car oh. crash scene with like a oh, lot of right. horrified bystanders in pulp fiction where one guy is like chasing after the other and it kind of occurred to me that it's like a very similar scene and that might have wow. been like a oh you're totally right reference to he that. even goes up to him and says hey mister are you okay which yeah. is like kind of the yeah that's oh shit 
Wow, I didn't Vince, even realize you are that. a film guy. I, it just occurred to me like two seconds ago because I was thinking, you know, I really like uh, scenes uh, where there's horrified bystanders at, at a at a car crash, and that's not yeah. what the scene is about. And I was trying to yeah. think, where else have I seen that, and why do I wow. like it? And I was like, oh, it's yeah. very obviously like a Pulp Fiction thing. That's that pretty, is that's so true. Yeah, look at that. You're wow. brain hey. firing on all cylinders. Hey. Yeah. Um, Two things similar. One thing similar to other thing seen on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I write down in blog. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, Tony is able to get the, the money. There's this great moment. That um, car has a dent in it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so yeah. Uh, Tony gets Fran the money and there's this great moment where it's clear that like uh, Fran is just spent all of the money on um, shoes instead of like turning on her phone and all that stuff. And you can see like Tony is souring on her because she keeps kind of dunking on Livia like and Mm -hmm. he hates his mom. He hates his but own it mother. Becomes, it, like the more the more he dislikes her, the more he hates what she says. You know what? I, right. Like, and a, also, a, I think brand. there's it, it's one thing if she if he himself dunks on his own mother. Mm-hmm. It's another thing entirely of the Gumar mm-hmm. of of her husband to also like say she dressed like a refugee and yeah. she was a yeah. handsome woman. You know, you can like, make fun sure of your even, own mom, but yeah. someone else doing it. It's a different like I'm story. sure even Tony, if his mistress was demolishing uh carmella he'd be he, like wouldn't take it either like only i yeah. can yeah like, uh, there's a great yeah. description of his mistress by the way where uh she she asked tony to describe his women and uh he says uh oh yeah uh you know she's she's latin but you know from spain, from spain. <laughs> like, <laughs> to make sure spain. that she knows it's all right because you know yeah. not that kind of latin like calm down. right yeah yeah and yeah. she's she's not from spain isn't she like puerto rican she's like half puerto rican or some I shit i have no idea like he's lying about her ethnicity to her i mean he oh, lies yeah. about everything he lies about Fran at the very end too but like yeah. i i think in that moment he's like she's classy like you like educator cultured yes. or whatever he says and i think yeah. like again he's like identifying with his dad being like oh you're we're exactly the same look at yeah us. i, mm-hmm. I do love that he's she, she's classy you know she fucked jfk yeah because <laughs> yeah. that's what he you know that's what he did he I fucked mean, classy there's women no more there's no higher mark of class for a mistress than saying like oh yeah she was also having sex with the president but, like, I, yeah, he exaggerated totally. it to the extent that like it was three years he would fly her to dc and yes. like, literally it was one fucking time yeah exactly if that, if yeah that, i don't know by the and, way and, that song playing during that scene is like one of okay. the worst songs i've ever heard i this mo this episode i've already said has the funniest moment i think in all of the sopranos mm-hmm. but i also think it has the most uncomfortable I, i've never been more uncomfortable than when fran is singing and coming closer and closer to the camera like yeah. i was uncomfortable i was like nauseated it was just this emotion that i hated to feel and i hated yeah. watching that they, they, i hated it back they then they played I hated that so it. well yeah it was totally so gross. creepy it, it is gross. it is the most creepy thing i think i've seen on the sopranos That's and i've exactly seen people it. die this, this episode uh, is the funniest moment and also the creepiest moment and i have a i have a clip uh of that happy birthday <laughs> to you Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. 
Voy a no, that was just me trying to re- redo Six Sense. Uh, it was just you. me trying to cry in Spanish, but I only know a few words. So oh I just kept God. going, No me gusta, señor. I, I kind of yeah. thought it was you, but I was like, That's not possible. <laughs> and I, I was doing the Sixth Sense uh, guy crying, yeah. uh, ghost, Spanish ghost crying, saying, I don't want to die. Yeah, I remember that. Wow. But I was saying the song, the other song, when, song? when Tony is mythologizing... Fran oh, in the strip club. The There's, very end, the last scene. Apparently, yes. it's the Lincoln Park plays. song. I oh, is it in the end? Lincoln Park. It's called Session, I guess. Oh, it, session. Like it, like physically repulsed me to have that song. It, it was just doing too much. It was like yeah. uh, it. It felt very much like. Uh, all right, we need a cool guy song right. for yeah. the end of this episode, Ugh, you know? Worse, just like the pit, like the rock bottom of the aughts. I think that was America's bottom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really Probably not, is, but... I mean, just beyond that song sucking, though, that, that final scene where at this point he is well creeped out by Fran Feldstein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is like, you know... Uh, He's starting to reassess everything. His scenes with Melfi, um, you know, he's sort of starting to forgive his mother and then kind of like backslides a little bit like, Mm -hmm. fuck her. But um, like at this point, he's back to just kind of idolizing, you know, the past and, you know, saying all this shit about Fran. Like, oh, she was she was a real knockout in a day. She used Mm -hmm. to fuck JFK. They said Um, Kennedy used to go to the burrito shop. And get a breakfast burrito and put his dick in the burrito he so he didn't fuck. come back to the White House smelling yes. like Fran Feldstein. This is, uh, what is that? The dirt. Fucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the dirt. Tommy I think, Lee. Uh, I think the moment when Tony, you go back into his memory and mm-hmm. his, one, his younger self has so much hair, but two, mm-hmm. I... I think, like, for once you see, like, when Tony has to back up his dad for, like, an obvious lie that, like, my mom could have died from bleeding or whatever. Like, right. I think Tony genuinely feels guilty about hating his mom, kind of. You know what yeah, I mean? It's, like, it's well, the, I think the, it's, yeah. Sorry. I think the arc of Tony in this episode is, like, he goes from unconsciously, uh, like, creating these false memories to uh, the end in that scene in the strip club. He's, like, very conscious mm-hmm. of, like, creating the fake memory like deliberately yeah. because it's just safer for him to think yeah. that Fran is like this cool, uh, classy broad and not that she's kind of like a sad alcoholic user. Well, also because he cares about his dad's image. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. My dad was amazing. Like, this proves it even further kind of thing, you know, yeah. like, yeah. 100%. I mean, image is all they have. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, their, their whole point of living is so that when they die, everyone will lie to themselves about their lives too. Right. Like that well, is I mean, like, that's, I mean the whole, like almost every character in the show, they constantly get, they get right up to the point of uh, like reckoning with their own decisions and, and how they see the world. And they realize that they can't take that next step because uh, it will like make their lives a nightmare and it'll invalidate right. yeah. like all, like they realize that all of these 
stories that they've built up are you know defenses for them and then they like Mm -hmm. they jump right back into it they're like oh of course like a safe space yeah it's like when i uh, mean they can't it's a house of cards yeah it's like when um meadow is in that when she is at first she's like calling tony out for being in the mafia and telling the cousins like how jackie jr died and then she realizes like she can't do that because uh like that's the she's already in that life so she has to continue the lie and Mm -hmm. yeah actually it was an asian gang Um, (laughs) (laughs) but uh just uh real quick uh favorite least favorite any moments that we missed you guys Uh, well we already talked about the least favorite moment um, yeah, the creepiest moment of all time, and uh-huh. I think my favorite moment was the Emmy scene. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Vince, uh, I really liked that moment with Bobby saying "shit up to the rafters" for some reason, because it's like <laughs> yeah. he's, he's describing his his fanciful uh, visual of something that he's imagined in his mind. Sure, sure. And then for least favorite, uh, I have two. Which one we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about the extended flashback to uh, like Livia and Johnny. Uh, For some reason, it's just lit terribly. And then the acting is awful. Uh, Yeah. Weird flashback sequence. And then the song at the strip club was just makes Mm. me want to blow my brains out for some reason. But Mm -hmm. yeah. One moment that we missed uh, that I think is just one of my favorite things is just this quick cut where Tony is fucking uh, Valentina. Uh-huh. Um and oh, yeah. uh, she's he's just staring at a the poster with the Weimariners on it. Yeah, and he just he, you could tell he's like struggling to like stay focused and he can't come because he's just thinking about Tippy. Um, yeah. she's also fucking, yelling, "Show Valentina how much you love her," which yeah. is the weirdest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that alone I wouldn't be able to come. That's that's <laughs> right. that that someone yelling, you know, <laughs> yeah. show me how much you love me. And then and then for, uh, Fran was also saying that like. You have to make your man feel powerful, and Livia never did that kind of thing. And right. So I think like he and like that's that, and that, that's before he has sex with Valentina, and I think it's right. like, yeah, it's in know. his head for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. got he's got a lot of like mixed emotions going on. He's like thinking about you know, there's like morality of this and blah blah blah. He is mostly just staring at a dog, and he can't come, and I love it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I would say the real gangster. Uh, what would you say the real gangster is, Vince? Uh, I think the real gangster is your self-protective ego. Oh, all right. Fair, yeah. fair, fair. Yeah. Your own idealized I think, memory. Um, I think uh, the real gangster is uh, fucking Chris Moltisante. <laughs> <laughs> because uh he really just shows up he really shows up to do some gangster shit and i fucking appreciate it yeah. immensely yeah so if i had to rate this episode i would say b plus vince what would you give this episode oh tough i mean i think it's one of the better ones the that's out there one of the best episodes ever really so definitely a solid b plus yeah Wait, why what how is <laughs> Is that a bit that you guys do? That... Not a bit. No, it's not a bit. But uh, but Shireen, if you had to give this episode a rating, between I would say a minus. So we'll, we'll call it B plus if we're you know. <laughs> yeah, we got to round balanced, down. A we got to round down. That's is how it every is. Every episode of B plus is that what you're that is. At? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've changed a lot. All right. 
anyways, uh, yeah, but I got to say this is a solid A-plus episode of Pod Yourself a Gun. Shireen, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. This was okay. This was fun. <laughs> <laughs> where, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at ShiroHero666, and on Instagram it's just ShiroHero. And, all right so check yeah. those out and listen to ethnically ambiguous it is a great if podcast to. if you want to um you will enjoy it <laughs> patreon.com slash broadcast for all the b- b- bonus episodes of the broadcast which is just pod yourself a gun but about movies instead and kind of not as in depth um the eight dollar tier is the pod yourself a shout out tier and this week um we technically only have one new pod yourself a shout out patron um although we're going to be doing two because last week uh we missed a last name on a shout out mm. and fucked uh fucked everything up oh yeah so uh, the the redo for last week is lewis purvis oh man i can't believe we, that's a good last name for nickname. yeah i get why he yeah. messaged us and yeah. said hey we're calling him we're calling him booger because he's a big perv you know like the guy from revenge of the nerds Oh, okay. Got yeah. it. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, I get that reference. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and the the second uh, is Michael Reynolds. Oh, Michael Reynolds. That's uh, that's Kramer, obviously. You know, that's in that Kramer's name. No, you're thinking no. of Michael Richards. Richards. Yeah, it's close enough. We're calling him Kramer. Well, you can't just. <laughs> All, right. All right. Fine. Fuck what, it. Kramer's Michael Reynolds. A good nickname. Well, uh, call no, him Kramer's- Cosmo. All right, Cosmo. we're gonna call. Yeah, Cosmo. we'll call him Cosmo. So uh, thank you, Cosmo and Booger, for um, you know for your eight dollar contribution, and you can do it yourself and get your name shouted out at patreon.com slash broadcast broadcast at gmail.com for all your questions comments concerns. Uh, Vince, what is the Google Voice number? Four one five two seven five zero zero three zero. All right, everybody. Thanks again so much for listening. And until next time, don't stop believing. Bitch, my name is fucking Ellie Man. Blah, blah, blah.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.